0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Podside Picnic. Um, I am here with uh, Raquel, who you probably know as R.S. Benedict. Uh, she was here with us on a previous episode. Uh, we, we did a movie episode with her, and I'm very excited to have her back to talk about Total Recall. <laughs> um, we also have a few of her cats as a bonus. How are yeah, you doing, Raquel? Yeah, you can Raquel?
1: hear Harley screaming.
0: <laughs> How'd <laughs> Harley get their name? Yeah. Like, uh,
1: Well, when I first got the cats, I knew there was a boy and a girl, but I couldn't tell which was which because they were very young and they just sort of looked the same. And there was a limited amount of time I wanted to spend looking at a cat's butthole. So uh, I, I figured, okay, I think that one's the girl, that one's the boy, and I thought Harley was the girl and Harley was very playful, so I called Harley Harley Quinn. Nice. Because they're frisky and playful, and I called the other cat Henny after Matthew Henson. Uh, a, a courageous explorer, and then I took them to be spayed, and neutered, and got a real fucking surprise. <laughs> but the name stuck.
0: It is what it is. Um, <laughs> I I used to um, I used to have a lot of cats, but I uh, uh, I discovered that those bumps on my arms weren't just the way things were it turns out i'm wildly allergic oh, no. and i just dealt with it for 15 years you know but i i used to name my cats after uh famous figures of the earliest 20th century so i right. had a zelda fitzgerald wow. i had an alistair crowley who was an idiot by the way alistair crowley <laughs> ran into walls but uh yeah no I, I i totally get the cat thing i just you know uh, sometimes fate reaches in and you, 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 you can't do something anymore and it's cats with me. So I'm yeah. jealous, I guess is what oh, I'm saying.
1: Oh no. Well they've been very good company through through lockdown and by good I mean they're driving me slowly mad. <laughs> but that is the job of a cat.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, I, uh, uh, my wife is in another state with my dog, and so I'm in this very large apartment in the middle of the Corn Belt all by myself, and Aww. I am definitely talking to objects at this point. That oh, is yeah. A thing I, I
1: started doing that back in April, easily. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I, I
0: remember back when things were normal, I would talk to myself on elevators. Like, So I've got to be out of control right now, and I just don't yeah. notice most of the time.
1: I'm not going to know how to like interact with normal people when I when I get back to society. I'm like going to greet people the way that family does in face off where they just like wipe their hands on each other's faces. <laughs> like that's what I'm going to do because I don't I don't fucking know what to do anymore. I'm like feral. Yeah. It's nuts.
0: I mean, do, do are are people ever going to hug again? I mean, I, I have this weird feeling that hugging is over.
1: Oh no. I don't know.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> we decided to talk about Total Recall, and Raquel, that was your idea. Like, what what brought Total Recall up for you?
1: Well, I love Paul Verhoeven, and I've just been thinking yes. about how, how much I miss his cultural output. He was so big in the 1990s, and then striptease kind of killed his career. And I'm just thinking about how desperately we need someone like that, someone who's like this this perfect combination of brilliant and incredibly stupid. Like this perfect mix of like art house and just complete fucking trash. And it's just, his movies are like wonderfully accessible to everyone and on the surface they're big and dumb and loud, but at the same time, like, holy fuck, the satire in them is so, so sharp. Just razor sharp. And... I would yes. absolutely love to see a, him given a budget to make the kind of stuff that he used to make today because, good Lord, we need him.
0: <laughs> I, embarrassingly, I just sort of assumed he was dead because if he wasn't, we would be getting product out of the man. Oh, so
1: he's making stuff in Europe. Uh, I know he came out with something, a, a very strange rape and revenge movie in 2016 called L, which I really, really want to see.
0: That That sounds... Well, I mean, like just put like that, maybe it doesn't sound great, but the idea yeah. of it being done by him does sound great. It, for some reason, that reminds me of, oh, gosh, what was it? Man Bites Dog. Did you mm-hmm. ever see that film?
1: I haven't.
0: Okay, so <clears throat> we're off topic, but what the hell? We can do what we want, right?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, it's, it's a French film. And it's black and white, and it's about a uh, a documentary crew following a serial killer around. Because, you know, they wanted to follow him, and he's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I love the idea of everyone knowing who I am. And the line gets blurred over time.
1: Oh, of course. Like,
0: they end up having a drink with him at one point, and... He ends up giving them money from his murders, and after a while, they're helping him move the bodies. Like, the oh, line wow. totally disappears. And it was, it's Ooh. very interesting. It's also really gross, but... Oh, I mean, of course, it's French. Right. I mean, given the subject matter and, and who's filming it, it's you get yeah. what you walk
1: into. Well, yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the point. If they made it, like, cute and sanitized, it would be easier to digest. It's like, I don't know, this guy's kind of nice. He's kind of cool to hang out. And you, sometimes that disgusting stuff is necessary to remind you, like, this is bad. Yeah. He's, he he murders people. He's a bad guy. He's bad. Well, it's
0: like that Woody Harrison film about uh, serial killers. Uh, God, I can't even remember the name anymore. But, like, it was very... Uh, it was it was very flashy and ended up glorifying what it was trying to make fun of.
1: Was that Natural Born Killers? Yeah,
0: that was it. And I, I mean, maybe it was a successful film. And I mean, bit like on the merits, I'm not talking about whether it did well in the box, o- box office. But mm. it just never landed with me because I watched it. And it's like, you are you are satirizing how serial killers became cool
1: by right. making
0: them cool.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's a really, it's a fine line to tread, and it's really, really hard. Like, when you look at e- even something as brilliant as American Psycho, like, people still miss the fucking point. Oh, yeah. And it's tough, because on the one hand, it's like, well, you don't want to be blunt and, like, moralize and, and talk to your audience like they're dumb. But, like, you, if you're too subtle, people are going to miss the point. And I find it really interesting to see how artists, how filmmakers kind of tread that line. And I mean, when you get Mary Heron, uh, who, did, who did American Psycho, I think she was kind of subtle and, and used this very dark humor in that, I know a lot of people thought Patrick Bateman was cool, but she makes him look like a total dweeb the whole time. And he's even though he's, you know, he's Christian Bale, and like young, super fit Christian Bale, she shoots him in a way that he always looks like he's made out of plastic. Yes. So even though he has this beautiful body and these gorgeous features, like there's something weirdly sexless about him. It's not he's not that sexy just because he's just like looks like a Ken doll or something.
0: Yeah, like yeah, brilliant. like plastic and angular. Like there's always there's something wrong with how yeah. he's filmed in a deliberate way. I, I never thought about that, like but you're this absolutely
1: wrong. weird, clammy, moist skin. There's just something really fucking off about him where like, you can recognize these are the features of a handsome man, but, like, there's I, – I, I don't want to – I don't – I I, you feel like if you touched him, like, it wouldn't feel like a human. It wouldn't feel good.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I have these conversations with you, there's always something in the back of my mind saying we should be getting high. And, well, I, I mean, obviously, logistically, that won't work, but <laughs> – Oh, well. Uh, Mm Um, so, um, total recall have, did you, did you rewatch it for this?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and it came up back on Netflix recently, so I rewatched it and then I I was hanging out at my brother's the other day and we wanted to put a movie on. We rewatched that. And (laughs) so, yes, I have rewatched it recently.
0: Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting film because like, uh, I I am I have this deep like like you're interested in Verhoeven, uh, well, which I think everyone should be. I mean, uh, uh, oh, uh, Starship God. Troopers was the stealth movie of all time.
1: Yeah, just everything about him is brilliant, and what I love is that. You bring people into his movies thinking like, oh, this is going to be so dumb. And then they walk out of it going like, holy fucking shit. Like I brought some friends of mine back in, in school to go see a midnight a midnight movie showing of RoboCop. And they're like, oh, that sounds fun. Ha ha, RoboCop. And then they walked out of it going like, oh, my God. <laughs> holy yes.
0: shit. It feels more true than it ever did. Oh, but- my God,
1: Completely
0: all of his movies do, uh, except possibly this one, but we'll we'll get to that.
1: Yeah, like that's what's brilliant. I feel like he's the filmmaker who got the future right the most, Mm -hmm. because most of the dystopian futures are like, they're still so beautiful. Everyone's beautiful and everything's kind of artsy and tasteful and and cool. Like the Blade Runner future is so stylish and cool everything's fucking cool, everyone's got this cool neo-noir techno aesthetic, everything's aesthetic, and the Paul Verhoeven future aesthetic is, like, tacky and stupid and horny, and I feel like that represents our current age better, everything is just ugly and horny and dumb and vulgar and awful, like, the Blade Runner future, like, there's a culture, and it's like, oh, look at this, you know, sexy robot cabaret, and it's so fucking cool, the the RoboCop culture in the future is like, I'd buy that for a yeah. dollar. It's just shit. And that oh, s- yeah. feels very real. That,
0: that T-Rex car that gets like two miles to the gallon. And yeah, yes. I mean, that's it, the,
1: it's the nuclear board game.
0: Yep. And uh, the, Oh, what is it? The, the SPF 2000 or what?
1: the SUX, I think it was. Oh, the I it meant- sucks.
0: Yeah, I was thinking the the the, the sun cream. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: that one. And I mean, what a, a song, a, a movie that starts off with Ronald Reagan getting killed with a space laser. Oh, That's... Italian chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, genius, genius. Hello, Harley. Hello. Do you like Paul Verhoeven?
0: Welcome to the show, Harley. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: My co star, my constant co-star.
0: Oh, that's yeah, no, I uh we're we're a very cat friendly show here. Uh, uh the uh uh so one of the things that's interesting about this is we have two major talents that to some greater or lesser extent intersect on this movie. Philip K. Dick and Paul Verhoeven. Mm-hmm. And their visions are totally different.
1: Wildly different.
0: Yeah, and and like so their their intentions for the the well, I guess you could call it the script are yeah. are completely alien to one another. And so you end up with this this very unusual thing. And I I guess that's also true of Starship Troopers, but 100%. we're not talking
1: percent yeah.
0: <laughs> So like what um Tell tell the audience about the film. Make the pitch, if
1: you would. Cat, what the fuck? He just knocked something over. Okay. So (laughs) Total Recall is an incredibly brilliant satire to me about America's addiction to escapism and the harm that that does and the attraction of it. And the strongest feature of the movie, I think, is that there's no scene where he wakes up. There's no scene where it officially tells you that, hey, this was all a dream. Like, they let you stay in his head the whole time. Yeah. There's just very strong implications that he is dying on the operating table.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's a very definition of, of unreliable uh, narrator. You literally don't know what's actually happening. Right. And some of that is very Philip K. Dick, but like what mm-hmm. what Verhoven did with with his vehicle and where he drove it. I mean, we, we were talking about this a little bit before. It's um, this 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 world he's built and the places they're going. It's. It's it's sexist and colonialist and white savior in a ridiculous right. way. And, uh, I mean, it's just Looney Tunes. Um, so, uh, one of the things that really is different between the two, because I know you read the short story, too. Right. Is sort of the... Uh, I, MacGuffin's the wrong word, but sort of the weird alien thing in the center right. of it all is completely different. <laughs> right, the mouse different.
1: aliens and a magic scepter. Yeah. <laughs> you decided that you are the most important person in the entire world just by existing and being alive. You're saving the world. You're so important. You're so good.
0: Yep, and and meanwhile, in Total Recall, what you have is a weird, weird Martian. Uh, uh, what would you call it? Ventilator for Mars. Right. That if you kick it on, it turns into paradise within right. half an hour.
1: Immediately, within like five minutes, even because they're out there not being able to breathe real good.
0: Yeah, doing everybody the cartoon should cartoon
1: bug eye thing that I love so much—it's <laughs> so good. That was wonderful. I love it. <laughs>
0: so, did you ever see the remake? Nope. There's only one thing I really liked about the remake is, do you remember that that, uh, that fake face he had on too? Yes, weeks? the
1: fake woman. I love yes. her.
0: Well, they she is in line going through customs or whatever in the oh. new movie. And so you're watching it, and you're like, oh, my God, obviously it's her. And it wasn't right. her. She's just in the background. Like, it was a total head fake.
1: Oh. <laughs> That's just I would have liked to see her get a little bit more because she, she she had two lines in that movie and yet she's such a memorable performance she's fantastic
0: yeah no that's that's just a wonderful piece um, she was great so um we were let's see I, I don't even remember the tape was running when we did this but we were talking a little bit about uh, like artist intentions and mm. the, the difference between what the intent of the writer is and what people are getting and whether that's a miss and that sort of thing. Right, right. And that's, that's an ideal thing to talk about with Verhoeven because, like, just about every one of his films, uh,
1: everybody misinterpreted in its time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yet is popular.
1: Except Showgirls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although I would argue that there's something to it. I, I genuinely would argue that there is something to it. I mean, it is a statement about art and commerce and how commerce just, like, sucks all the spirit out of, out of art and just transforms it into fucking shit.
0: I haven't seen Showgirls, but I will say I'm more than willing to give Verhoeven the benefit of the doubt. I mean, at least until I've seen the thing a couple of times. Because he, like... Like, uh, RoboCop was a landmine that hit me later. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, obviously Starship Troopers was. Oh, my God. Yeah,
1: Doogie Hauser in a Nazi uniform. What? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. And, I mean, I remember watching this and thinking... Do, you know, this is kick-ass, but doesn't he know that this is a little Nazi-esque? And, right. you know, 10 years later, I'm like, holy shit, dude. How dumb could it be? Not- they should have just taken my ticket away and thrown me out. Oh,
1: it. well, fucking critics didn't recognize it either. Critics were complaining, like, I don't know who to root for. I mean, the bugs are gross, but the people are kind of like Nazis. It's like, yeah, yeah, good... The point.
0: (laughs) Good, good summary of the surface level,
1: boys. (laughs) That is the point, guys. Literally, that is the point. And you're complaining. I kind of feel like that was sort of the issue with showgirls. It's like she's not. She's not actually that attractive. She's kind of harsh looking. Like, yeah, yeah. When you've turned sexuality into this incredibly commodified performance, you kind of take. The meaning out of it, and it becomes this vulgar, ugly thing. But of course, American audiences are just so like blown away by the existence of titties that they can't really get like. Maybe that is the point. Maybe she's supposed to look kind of like harsh and unsexy. You know, like this doesn't titillate me. Why not? As opposed to ask, wondering maybe that's intentional because Paul Verhoeven likes titties too. You know. Yeah, <laughs> like... I, I mean.
0: He certainly knows what is going to arouse people, and he uses yeah. that to mock us. And I think that's, you know, that, that's something you should consider. You've, you've now convinced me to watch Showgirls, which is something <laughs> yeah. I never thought anyone would do.
1: It is, it is a fucking trip. Um, I think there's something to it. Would I argue that was a good movie? Uh, not really. But I would argue that he was trying something with it. I, I would argue that it is art um -hmm. it's just a it is an experience for sure
0: yeah well and
1: i mean i think
0: uh, maybe there's a discussion to be had which i'm not qualified to make about fitting it within his body of work you know Mm. like um he's been trying a lot of things and i imagine if i were him i would either be really happy with his 80s sci-fi run or really unhappy Right. Because, right. like, what, what does it mean when half of your audience never figures out what's going on, but still likes your work? Like, does, right. is, is that a success? I, I, I don't
1: know. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's so tricky. It's so, so, so tricky for creatives because you don't want to dumb yourself down to make everybody happy because it, it's such a loss and it's so limiting. Yeah. <laughs> and Absolutely. I respect him for sticking to it. I respect him so much for making this movie and never having the reveal, never returning to the real world and ending in this blast of white light that is framed as like, oh, look what a happy beautiful ending, but wait, he that's the light that you see when you die. That's the light that you head towards. <laughs> Holy shit.
0: So I would like to uh, to plunge into Philip K. Dick for a second. If they if you feel, indulge me.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. So one of the things we' were talking about prior to this is uh, that uh, Philip K. Dick has a certain unique perspective, shall we say, that you can track through his writing over time. And while I know you're a consumer of his his writing, it it sounds like you you didn't you you haven't read a lot on his backstory, which is probably I
1: haven't. That's I mean, a very his, legit... his corpus, his writing. There's so much of it. I definitely haven't read all of it because, like Jesus Christ, the man wrote so much. Right.
0: <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, I think there's an argument to be said for. I mean, is it a mistake to read so much up on the author that it informs mm. how you read his writing? I mean. Um, we, I always think about James Joyce with this. I mean, mm. like the number of people who say they've read James Joyce is vastly higher than the number of people who have even purchased his books, let alone read them. But right. it seems that he has, he has this reputation for incomprehensibility that makes – uh, I I just it's hard for me to view that as a success, whether he's a great writer or not. And mm. like I think about that with Philip K. Dick, like a lot of people who read him and enjoy him do it with the backstory, and that might be cheating, you know? I I,
1: I don't gosh, know. I don't know. I don't know. Like uh, on the one hand, I I feel like it's important. I feel like there's an overemphasis right now on who the writer is. Like there's a big thing thing about, okay, you wrote about this, but are you qualified to write about this? You wrote about sexual assault, but were you sexually assaulted personally? And I have to evaluate the work based on that, not based on the work. So I'm kind of hesitant to go into that, but I kind of feel like with Philip K. Dick, like his whole life was such a fucking trip. Yes. (laughs) It's worth it. It's almost like a life of performance art itself. It's like he was this multimedia art event <laughs> yep.
0: so so let me let me walk through sort of the what people sort of consider the the foundation lego for a lot of what's going on so like in 1974 philip dick was at his house and he'd uh um he was basically coming th- to from dental surgery like he he got he got he got shot up with the drugs had it done went home to crash and his doorbell rang and he, he went to the door, and there was this delivery girl, and the delivery girl had one of those, those gold fish uh, pieces of jewelry, you know, the, 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 the ancient Christian symbol.
1: Right, right, the Jesus fish.
0: Right. And um, that hit him hard, and when he shut the door, he had a flash of pink light in his eye, like a wow. laser. And he got a series of visions that he believed were from an alien omnipotent God. And that God was downloading all of this knowledge about him, about how the universe is Gnostic. And the idea is the alien God is separate from the world. And like TVs and the FBI and all of this physical stuff was sort of like clathrating him and keeping him away from that design truth. And we were all supposed to escape that and what's wow. it go, go ahead sorry
1: no go ahead i just said wow
0: yeah yeah it's it's pretty wild and so like a lot of his stuff well even before he got into this but a lot of his stuff was about is this really happening like what is yeah. truth if you're yeah, halluc- that makes sense yeah and um especially after this point more and more mm. his his uh writing became about alien gnosticism and trying to communicate with this outer friendly alien force against the familiar forces of well evil for lack of right. a better word or right. you know the government or the people next door like we're we're right. we're all trapped by our physicality and so like when um when Verhoeven did the, is this, you know, the the flash of light and good argument to be made, probably 100% accurate argument to be made that, that this all happened on the operating table, right?
1: Yeah, um, I want, there's so many, so many hints that this is going on. Like, when Quato is sort of in a trance and the, the drills are coming through the wall and he's saying, you've got to get up, you've got to get up, you've got to get up, like... Come on. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening in the real world.
0: <laughs> well, and I mean, that was, I mean, Philip K. Dick didn't do that in the short story. But Not at all. its it's its such a nice little homage to him, the idea mm-hmm. that you don't know what's really happening.
1: Right, right. I mean, in, I guess in the other, I guess Philip K. Dick is, the short story is more about using fantasy to find out who you really are. Yes, which is a, a kind of a very nice idea, um, and, and kind of a beautiful idea of hey, exploring your true self through art. It's tricky for me though because I feel like it. I, I feel like maybe what Verhoeven might have seen in it is this idea that well, science fiction and fantasy engages in this kind of hollow escapism that kind of keeps us from dealing with our shit in the real world. Like I feel like maybe that's what Verhoeven saw in it. And that's what he did with it, which yeah. I can kind of see that interpretation, too. If you don't know much about Philip K. Dick, then that kind of does look like a worthy interpretation. Like, oh, wow, this guy's the most important person on Earth just because he's alive and some magic mice gave him a scepter. All right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's this well, bullshit?
1: Oh, I- now he's a secret agent on <laughs> Mars? Okay. And, that, like, uh, PKD,
0: like, he also believed he was full of shit. So, like, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not tremendously f- offended by that interpretation, but it's a, it's a really interesting one, right? I mean... Yeah. Yeah. I, and I just, like, it's very weird to me to have two sort of uh, sci-fi or literary, whatever you want to call them, forces, like, overlap on a project, even though I don't even know that they ever met one another and have it have it sort of hybridized like this. I think it's cool yeah. as
1: hell. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, a long time ago I realized you, you can't get mad at a movie for being different than the story it's based on because it's such a different animal. And it, that thing used to bother me, but I feel like being a writer now has made me a lot more open and forgiving about it and being like, you know what, it's a different medium. It's not the same thing if you want the original story read the story it's still there it's fine this is a jumping off point this is very interesting and and, and verhoeven obviously I, obviously i think he went in the opposite direction of the intent of the original work but i yeah. think he came out with a really interesting just fantastic piece of art yeah, well, and I mean,
0: not not to be crude, but Philip K. Dick like shit this story out over like three days, like it was not <laughs> right. significant to him, and he was using it to pay rent. Like I like it, yeah, but but like Verhoeven did more with it, like
1: fundamentally, he thought about it a lot, and and I love him for that, and and mm, like it's tricky for me because uh, I I do write sci-fi fantasy. And I do kind of feel like Verhoeven felt like so much of this is escapism, which isn't inherently harmful, but this addiction to it, this like just getting totally absorbed in it to the point where it's ruining your real life. I do feel like that kind of is a factor in a lot of contemporary SFF. Like I've seen a good number of SFF writers say like, I'm not going to write about the pandemic. I'm not going to deal with it in their, my writing. I can understand saying it's too soon for me. I need some time to sort out my feelings or, sure. hey, everybody's going to fucking write something about this. So I don't want to like fl- be a part of this, you know, flooding the market. Like that. I think that's a valid concern too. Like, oh God, everybody's going to write a story about this pandemic. So I don't want to, but just saying, I don't want to address it because it, it's too hard and it stresses me out. It's like, why the fuck are you even an artist then? Yeah. Yeah. It's (laughs) yeah. How do you expect uh, me to take you seriously? (laughs) Yeah. I
0: mean, I, I mean, I guess if, if you're, if you're writing children's books or if, if the direction of your writing is in a way that, you know, it's, it's been a conscious and deliberate choice for you not to deal with certain harsh realities. Sure. But like, um, uh, the pandemic is like I mm-hmm. don't know. It's it's like 9/11. It's like it's like so many other events which changed how we look at the world. Right. And the the idea that you would like not factor that in is like everybody else right. is factoring it in because that's the world we're in, sucker. You know, it's right. it's it's very weird to me. Like I I've been thinking a lot about first contact and how that's going Ooh. to be different in sci-fi. Because like the, the assumption has always been how and when and why and what happens when you, you know. Right. Inc- and now, if you should has become significant. Like, can you interact with an alien species without one of you dying off is a question that should be at least asked and dismissed. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going off there, so.
1: (laughs) No, that's okay. Like, I mean, I I feel like there is a place for escapist fantasy and escapist sci-fi, but I feel like that's kind of taken over, and it's taking over in a time when SFF is kind of trying to present itself as like mature and valid. And I've heard a lot of SFF writers complain that like, hey, other people don't take us seriously. Other people in publishing don't take us seriously. we have our voices are very important, and it's like okay, but if you're, what are you using your voices for? Are you using your voice to say anything actually meaningful, or are you using a voice to say, to sort of give yourself some candy to make you feel better? Right. And it's like, okay, candy's fine, but like, eat a fucking vegetable sometimes.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you, your brain teeth are going to rot out, guys. Um,
1: so yeah, have and you- and oh, the structure of this this movie, like really follows the structure of every single, like, I'm, you know, hero's journey, I'm the hero, and what people call cozy revolution stories. Like, I think it's really interesting to compare this to the many, many dystopian YA stories where a magical, omnipotent teen girl (laughs) saves the world (laughs) while trying to choose between two different hunks. Like, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. We've even got the choice between two hotties.
0: Yeah, we were talking (laughs) earlier, and the comparison that came up was Pocahontas and I can't get that out of my head now.
1: <laughs> right, right. Like he, she, this, this literally his dream girl is like the ultimate male fantasy. Right? She's sleazy and demure, <sighs> which you don't really get that very. You know, she's both sides of the virgin whore dichotomy. Yeah, I mean, literally, I, I mean, she's a sex worker, but she's introduced as like, well, she doesn't take just anybody. She, she's, she's not really seeing many clients anymore. It's like, but I, I don't. She's a sex worker who doesn't have sex with anybody I don't the yeah. job description um like what <laughs> yeah yeah I, it, well
0: I mean it's it's like she's she's the soup Nazi for sex I mean it just doesn't
1: <laughs> right, make any right. sense right like I'm a sex worker but I don't have sex with anyone like I but how do you pay rent because it's like well you want the fantasy of like ooh, she's you know so she's oh, transgressive. Yeah. You know, she's a wild girl, but like, you don't actually have to want to deal with the fact that she's sleeping with men besides you, because that's, that kills the ego trip. And I love this movie for calling the, the recall trip he's on literally, this is the ego trip. Yes. <laughs> Just straight up calling it the ego trip, <laughs> which is so good, but it's like, Oh, she's exotic. She's exotic. And, and I love the fact that after the walls of reality come crashing down in that one scene, we immediately get the ultimate male fantasy, which is two hot chicks fighting over you, and then your mistress beating the shit out of your wife and calling her a bitch.
0: You re- they really needed, <laughs> like, a arena full of jello.
1: 100%. <laughs> yeah,
0: I... I don't know man, it's like I I, I watched this for for this, but it, talking to you makes me want to go back and watch it again because like I um well, I mean I'm in the age group where I grew up wanting to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is oh, just course. such an absurd thing to say.
1: No, I get it. I get, he's he's charming. His 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 biceps are fucking amazing. Like, yeah. uh, shit. Yeah.
0: And it just like every every summer or for a period of years, there was two or three of his movies that I was right. really into.
1: Right. For like a period of 10 years, he could do no wrong. Every movie he was in, like everybody just loved it. Yes. Oh, I remember what I was going to ask
0: you. And this is uh, mm. sort of off topic, but did did you ever see read The Goblin Emperor?
1: I don't think so, no.
0: Well, it's the it's a fantasy novel, and this goes back to you talking about not wanting to deal with certain realities. But it's mm. a fantasy novel about this the the a son of the emperor who was begat on a goblin woman, mm. and the idea is like everybody dies in a horrible accident, and so this little uh, you know side blow becomes emperor. Right, and it's about him interacting with everybody, and you know what it's about? It's about the Obama years.
1: Uh...
0: Yeah, and it's it is a very difficult <sighs> book for me to interact with because on the one hand, I sincerely believe sincerely believe it's well written, <laughs> and on the other hand, just that was made makes me like eye poppingly furious.
1: Yeah. I, I have not read that, and I um, don't intend to that you're describing it <laughs> to me. I won't mail it to
0: you, I promise. Is there like... <laughs> a
1: scene where the Goblin King pretends to take a sip of water to reassure the villagers of, of the land of Flintwood <laughs> that there isn't dark magic potion in their local well? Is there a scene where that happens?
0: Oh, well... Uh close <laughs> enough. Yeah, I mean oh, no. like there's a like that a lot of what he does is well, maybe I should sit everyone down for a beer. And uh, you know, if if we all work together, the the people of Goblin Land and the Elves can work together in the long term for trade. You know, like that kind of stuff. Right. And it's yeah, I I'm never doing that voice again. That was I'm really bad at it. But I mean yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I do see that. I do see that a lot in a lot of the SFF community. And I, I hope I'm not, like, pilloried for this or whatever. But oh. there's, like, a refusal to kind of deal with the Trump years. Like, I feel like a lot of them just kind of stopped writing about the world in 2016. Yes. And stopped kind of dealing with the world as it is. And it's just like, well, I'm just going to play with my Funko Pops until something better happens. And it's like, you don't, you don't change shit by doing that. You don't. Well and there's the- all that talk of like destroying Trump's horcruxes with the oh, you know my wrecking God. All. like okay it was a f- it, admittedly i laughed when i saw that it was a funny joke but like that act you know that actually doesn't do anything right you've got to like build material power you've got to you got to do that stuff and it's just like th- there's no translating it into material power like people are calling themselves dumbledore's army while forgetting that shit even in harry potter the kids armed themselves Yes. <laughs> well,
0: it's like, uh, well, let, let me go to another book that's wildly overused in this sort of cosplay, mm. the Bible. Um, okay. Um, th- this is a Saul on the road to Damascus moment. Like mm. something so horrible happened that the scales can fall from your eyes. Like prior mm. to uh, Trump getting elected, I was like, well, you know, I think Bernie has a lot of good points. But mm-hmm. I, am, I am backing Hillary because that's the practical choice, and I know I can't right. have what I want, and da, da 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 And, like, what a weird way to, like, why are you hobbling yourself to begin with? Like, why don't you right. advocate and fight for what you believe in? Why am I door-knocking for people I don't like? Right. And like it's such an opportunity like when something that horrific happens to you you could or well to everybody you you right. could look around and say well like where am i being incredibly stupid. And I like to think the last 4 years in some ways have been really good for me in the midst of everything burning down because i'm less slightly less full of shit.
1: Yeah, it has been very eye opening. A lot of the deep problems, and I feel like there's a rift between people who want to actually fix the deep issues versus let's go back to normal. And it's like that bit from from No Country for Old Men, which is if the rule you follow brought you or if the rule you follow led you to this, of what good was the rule? Yeah, I kind of feel like that, and I feel like a lot of people in in SFF kind of don't like. There are discussions about do you even acknowledge that Trump exists. Like, I've heard people saying that they're not even going to mention Trump in their books because it, his existence is too upsetting. Like, yeah, I know he's it's upsetting, but, you know, some people don't get to pretend it's not happening. Yeah. And like, are you helping those people by pretending it's not happening? What are you actually doing to try to fix any of this? And no, I don't expect like a bunch of nerds to lead an actual revolution. But like, what materially are you doing? Are you joining mutual aid networks and helping people during the pandemic? Are you... What are you fucking doing here?
0: E- even phone banking, like you even know, there's, phone there's so
1: many things
0: you can do that make some sort of marginal difference. That the idea of doing nothing is is it's a huge indictment on all of us. Because of course, yeah. sometimes we all do nothing. I'm not doing as much well, as I yeah, know, I don't but. do
1: everything all the fucking time. But like I'm, I, I realize like you know what I need to do something in the real world. and and like my. Like during the pandemic, yeah, I do escapist media and I've been writing a lot, but one of the things that I've done that's helped my sense of sanity the most is just mutual aid, volunteering. I
0: okay. think that's fantastic.
1: Like I've been volunteering at a local food bank and and it's like, well, I, I fucking have the time.
0: <laughs> you know? Well, and that's just exactly it.
1: And and that does more for me than like watching, you know, rewatching a cute movie and or or reading escapist fantasy. And it's obviously not going to like change the entire world, but it's like, this is something that I can do that is helping people who need to be helped desperately.
0: I, I have a two times the cans good rule. Like when I <laughs> when I when I stock up for the pandemic, I buy pi- twice as much as I want and I drop half of it off.
1: Oh, that's smart.
0: Because I mean I'm buying it anyway, and it makes sure that I, it's I'm I'm not giving them like eight cans of of, of pumpkin filling.
1: Yeah, expired, <laughs> five year old expired clam chowder or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Like oh, we got a donation of that because we sometimes get donations of canned food, but you can totally see it's like oh shit, this dusty thing's been in the back of my cabinet for years. I'm gonna get rid of it. It's like, okay, some things, some things, if it's like dried rice, like, okay, whatever, it's a, it's a month past the expiration date. Thanks for the I'd botulism,
0: yeah.
1: I'd fucking eat it, but like, not even lying, like, m- several years expired clam chowder.
0: Oh, Jesus. Are you
1: trying to kill someone? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? It's sentient now. Wow.
0: Oh, um, Raquel, there was one thing, and I should have asked about this up front, but like, everybody listen to the end, screw that, um, <laughs> what irons do you have on the fire? If, if, if people liked our conversation and want more, uh, R.S. Benedict, <laughs> where should they go?
1: Well, I have my own podcast about writing. It's called Write Good, and it's hosted at kittysneezes.com. I'm very proud of that, um. Bosh kitty. Yes. I... Let's see. I, I just have a story out in the latest episode of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. I'm really proud of it. It's a novelette called The Fairy Egg. And it's based on a real-life incident of in 19th century Ireland. And I'm really, really proud of that story. It's getting some good buzz. I'm extremely proud of that. So those are... Two places where you can find my stuff. I'm also on Twitter, but my Twitter honestly is pretty terrible. So, you know, you don't (laughs) got to follow me there. Oh,
0: I'm with you there. (laughs) So what I'm doing while we're talking, which is incredibly rude, is I'm pulling up. There it is. Uh, I was looking for your your your, your story but I, I I think I can probably look at that and read that while I'm not talking to you that might be the most <laughs> rude thing I've done all day I, and I've had an assortment of rude things I've done so
1: oh well thank you and if you <laughs> want to talk about the story I'd love to do that too it, I had a very good time writing it and it, it, it was great and I'm also working on a couple of different stories at all times well that's
0: <laughs> I honestly let's let's do that I'll, I'll definitely read the story, and let's uh, you know. At, at some point, like I'm not going to drag you back here every week. That's a little nutso, but I, I do I do want to bring you back to talk about it if you're down.
1: I am absolutely down, and I've also got some of my previously published work up on CuriousFictions.com and on my Patreon, which is Patreon.com/rightgood. That's R I T E G U D. I've got a couple of my old short stories out there, Clara Vox and More Ba. I've put them up for free just because I want more people to get their eyeballs on them and I'm proud of them and everyone's fucking broke right now <laughs> so it's right. like pay me money to, to read my story like well if you want to send me a tip I'd appreciate it but like Jesus I realistically what can I expect from from people who have nothing um and fuck I'd love to talk about them
0: Amazing. Let's, let, let's let definitely do that. I honestly, I feel bad. I should have proposed that before. I mean, That's because okay. we keep having you back and we're talking about films and you're a writer. It's like, what kind of a rude asshole am That's I? That's okay.
1: I'm obsessed with film. I love film. I, I could never work in film because it's hard and expensive. I mean, I write because you don't need a million dollars to write a story. You just need like, a pen and some time okay so so i i feel like it, it's such a valuable medium just because there's a lower barrier to entry you, you don't need to be rich and well connected to make a story exist whereas film as much as i love film i would love to write a film i would love to work on a film it's never gonna fucking happen
0: i <laughs> i get that so it's not
1: gonna happen
0: oh um okay so uh, degrees of separation um you know the there there was a an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie about uh, the end of the world, and there was a there was a character who was a um, uh, African American albino guy on the bus.
1: Yes, yes. What was that? Oh God! It was the like the millennial story. It was the devil, and the whole thing is that. The devil has to impregnate this one girl in order to make the antichrist happen and i guess abortion doesn't exist in this movie because the sequel could be a very short one where she makes an appointment to a clinic and the world is saved
0: i used to ride the bus with that guy the the, Whoa. the yeah the african-american dude on the bus and like i i i, I told this to a friend of mine and he's like yeah, that's so and so. He goes to my parties all the time. Like I was just like, dude. <laughs> but I was excited, you know. And, and apparently, he's a uh, uh, or was. It's it's been years, so I have no idea what happened to him. But he's a uh, you know a, a talented comedian.
1: Oh wow, he's a really distinctive-looking person. I can see, like, just recognizing him. Like, holy shit, is that guy? Like, oh
0: yeah. Well, and apparently he he has a sense of humor about that. Like, he gets sucked into weird music uh, movie projects because, like, oh, he, yeah. he looks unusual, and and people want to play off that. But
1: and good yeah, for him. Yeah. Hey, he's making money off of it. He's he's having a good time. Good it's, for him.
0: Exactly. The, the, we're we're all we're all playing off you know what we've got at this point. Yep. So <laughs> here's my pitch. I definitely am going to go through and read your back tech catalog, and I want to talk about all of it, uh, front okay. and back. But Ooh, wow. um, if you get a chance, uh, check out Man by Stog. Let me know what you think.
1: Ooh, yeah. God, my two read and two watch lists are so long. <laughs> oh, which is amazing,
0: because all we have is time.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. I ha- In my defense, I have been working and writing a whole lot. I've been writing a whole lot during the pandemic, which is good. We've yeah, got our, our um our podcast. We've got a, a like a Discord for subscribers, and we've been holding these little like write-in sessions where it's like, okay, everybody, starting at three p.m. Eastern time today, we're all gonna write for an hour, and when you're done, post your word count and. That's it. That's all you got to do. It's all honor system. If you want to post an absurdly large word count, we have no way to verify that. It, you you win zero prizes. <laughs> There's no reason to. But fucking if you want to do it, I can't stop you. Well, it's a so wonderful we've idea. Been, we've just been doing that, and it, I've just been like fucking getting through stuff so much faster than I normally would. It's astoundingly effective because writing it's stuff because writing such a solitary activity. Yeah, most of the time. So it's kind of like hard. It's, it's a solitary activity. It's a solitary discipline in a lot of ways. And it's kind of hard to find that sense of community. So many writers are very introverted. Like even in normal times, I had so much trouble finding other writers to just talk to. Right. And so like, part of the reason I was doing right good is like, I, I, I I'm trying to like find kindred spirits. In writers because I mean you look at what book Twitter is and it's horrible it's just fucking horrible it's this awful like a pecking party I don't know if you read One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest but like I don't know if that's a real thing but a pecking party is where chickens will just see blood on one chicken and they'll start pecking at him until they pick him apart but in the process of doing that you're probably gonna get scratched too so they see now there's blood on you and the chickens, other chickens just start pecking you apart. And I feel like that's what writing Twitter is. There's zero sense of like community. There's, it's just like, hey, there's, it's just like, hey, I'm mad at this person. And against people who are fledgling and usually from some, from a marginalized community, like say, what happened to Isabel Fall? I'm still furious about that. Um, and they just get dogpiled by a lot of like powerful members of the writing community. And it's so fucking ugly. Like when you're starting off, especially if you're from a marginalized community, if you're, if you're queer, if you're trans, like you really, you know, you, you need a mentor. It's like a big world and a, a professional mentor in this community, it means so much. And, you know, you want to welcome people in and guide them and, and give them advice and help them. And what I see instead is very much the opposite of that. I see something that doesn't want to let other people in and I see something that looks for the slightest whiff of vulnerability or imperfection and just tears the person apart and the people who always end up actually being hurt are the people who we need to hear more of you know because if you're rich and well-connected like you'll be fine Mm -hmm. but if you're like a working class transgender woman you that'll fucking wreck your career like isabel fall had to kind of hide from public life because of the reception her story got and it's fucking disgusting
0: yeah yeah well and by all accounts it's a very good story
1: yeah i thought i thought it was really really interesting and i really appreciate what she was trying to do with it um i mean like it's military sci-fi so a lot of the stylistic choices aren't kind of the way i would write but like the the fact that she used military sci-fi to explore the issue of gender and the fact that she wrote about the way imperialism kind of takes what should be a movement for liberation and just turns it into another weapon like that is amazing and really I think an important thing to talk about right now and the fact that people reacted to it with such hatred that they were genuinely accusing her of being a fucking nazi is disgusting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I and I mean it's some of that is just the the worst parts of Twitter. Yeah. You know, and, and in some ways the an- on anonymity brings out the worst with of yeah. people and then you combine the fact that a writer can't be completely anonymous or it's difficult.
1: what bugged me is that it wasn't random anonymous accounts but there were like prominent editors and writers yeah joining this leading the call to fucking attack her like millionaire best-selling authors finding this new writer and not even asking like what was your intent what were you trying to do there and that's their response. Like, this was published in Clark's World, and, and Clark, the editor of Clark's World, like, to the best of my knowledge, is generally a very well-intentioned guy. Yeah. He has cultural sensitivities. He's not a fucking fascist. Like, you really think that this guy is going to publish Nazi propaganda? Do you seriously think that?
0: Yeah, it's like, revolting. are you
1: kidding me? It's just, it's absurd. Like, there's no attempt to understand there. There's no attempt to figure out, okay, why did this really make me uncomfortable and interrogate it? It's just imagine if you are like a a queer writer who's trying to enter a start a writing career and you see that, are you going to want to fucking sign up?
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. it's, 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 it's poisoning the well. I mean, what what should be the greatest way for authors to communicate with one another? Is becomes uh, a war. Zone. It's just
1: that, and, and I mean, we can only blame Twitter so much when it's like no one made a prominent best-selling author react that way. Yeah, no one forced them to react that way, and it's just and it's just fucking hideous. And it's like you, you need more mentorship, you need more of a of, of community and compassion and an attempt to to like really examine a work instead of deciding this made me feel bad, therefore it's bad. Like how the fuck you want you want your you want your genre to be taken seriously as an art form, but when you see anything challenging, all you can do is morally condemn it. You can't examine it. You can't look at it deep. All you can do is decide it on this fucking binary of is it helpful or harmful, is it good or is it morally wrong, and like that—that that is just—it's anti-art. Yeah. To look at art that way, it's anti-fucking art, and it's horrible and well, it's, it's bizarre. Even though I write ISFF, I feel like I fit more in with with the horror community because. There's way more nuance, and there's way more acceptance of, like, stories that are going to be messy.
0: Well, and the idea that people who are successful communicators on a public stage are that Mm -hmm. unwilling or unable to explore the nuance of something is very strange.
1: It's disturbing. It's so disturbing. Like, you've never... (sighs) I used to be a little bit more like easy, a little find it a little easier to dismiss stories or something that I didn't like. But since I've published it and since I've seen people's reactions to my work and people interpret things in just really strange ways that I could have never imagined and never intended, or people just sort of I don't even fucking know how they interpreted my story like that. But okay. I've become a lot more like generous or open minded about it. Like, okay, am I interpreting it this way? Maybe. Is that what the author meant? I don't know.
0: <laughs> right. Well, um, I hear um, our co host, Harley, is uh, signaling the end. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, uh, Raquel, I'm really glad you had the time to come on here. This has been really wonderful. And can, oh, I, I'm. Excited about the idea of scheduling another one of these soon.
1: Hell yeah. I have not actually really been like audio interviewed about my fiction for the most part, so Oh well could be, be fun. really fun for me to talk about. Very cool. <laughs> well, you know, maybe I I don't know, maybe we can bring it up. Oh no, I did on do this. once, but twice but not as much in, in depth, I guess. And Harley Harley, maybe you have some insight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks again.
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me on. It was fun.